watch these bumpers each week and I think I have to get a new hobby. Anybody else? Anybody else? Surfing with a GoPro and it's like Gaston is like chasing you and I mean I don't want to dance. I could play drums. I don't. Um, I, I do about three things. I hang out with my family. I run. Sometimes those two things go together <laughs> uh, with three kids. Um, and uh, one, one of my favorite things, if you hang around me much uh, and and um, and maybe they feed one another as well, is coffee. Um, I don't know if it's because I've been doing college ministry for quite a while, or our kids are so young, or what it is, but I, I love coffee. I love, can I get an amen somewhere? <laughs> I am not alone, friends. I love coffee. I love, I love the sound of the, are you with me? The sound of the coffee pot in the morning. When it first starts and you hear that little gurgle going on in the back of it, and then you hear the drip into the pot. I love the smell of it, the way it fills your house. If you like are smart enough to set it before you get up in the morning and you smell it when you like walk out of the bathroom from getting ready and it just is like, yes. You with me? Amen. The thing about coffee, though, is it's, it's very self-serving for me. Coffee, the, the, the weird thing about coffee is it does, this may not sound very healthy, it does whatever I need it to, okay? So in the morning, when I'm tired and I have a hard time getting going, um, coffee gives me energy. It, uh, it kind of like wakes me up, that caffeine, it kicks in. In the afternoon, when, um, when I get lagging a little bit, somewhere around 2 o'clock, I have a little bit more coffee and it kind of like gets me through the rest of the day. When I get home at night and things are kind of settling down, I brew a little bit more coffee and it kind of calms me down. You're looking at me like I'm addicted. I'm not. I just really like it. If we're talking about favorites, if this is disclosure here, I'm giving you what I got. I really, I really like coffee. Now, the thing about it is it does what I, I, I need it to do, okay? It, 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 the smell can be comforting. The smell can be invigorating. It does all these sorts of things. And I think it's interesting um, when we look at some of the favorite verses that we've been doing, um, uh, doing in this series kind of over the past six weeks. It's interesting kind of the theme that flows through, uh, through each one of them. So this is week number six. Here's a quick recap. Um, the first verse we did was Philippians 4.13. Um, and if we just read these at first glance, we can say these passages, um, they give me what I want when I need it. They do, they do for me what I need. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things. Jeremiah 29.11, God has a good plan for me. Romans 8.28, all things work together for my good. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, I don't need to worry, God gives me peace. Isaiah 40, 31, as I wait on the Lord, he'll give me renewed strength. And this morning is Isaiah 41, 10, and it says, I don't need to fear that God, that God is with me. We often turn to these verses the way that I turn to coffee. I've got a need, I go to it, it gives me what I need, and then I'm good to go, right? And then I can just pack them away, I can put them in the mothballs, and when I'm ready to pull them back out and I need them again... I can pull them out and I can, and I can use them. Now, there's nothing wrong with turning to Scripture for the encouragement that we get through, um, through the truth of God. Okay? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, in fact, this morning when we come together and we celebrate and we worship, that's what we're doing. We are celebrating the fact that God, through the person of Jesus Christ, has pulled us into relationship with himself through the forgiveness that we, that we receive through Christ's perfect life his death on our behalf, and his resurrection from the grave. And so we're celebrating this truth. We're looking to this truth, and we're encouraged by it. We feel valued from it. 
There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're just turning back to these favorites, if we're just turning back to these promises, only in our time of need, only when we want something, it's saying a lot about who we are dependent upon and who we are following. This morning, um, as we look at Isaiah, uh, as we look at Isaiah 41, uh, verse 10, and the, the, the passages, uh, the, the verses that precede it, we see this tension, right? When we're faced with difficulty, we have a response to make. Are we going to follow what pleases us? Are we going to follow what scratches that itch that we have for a moment? Are we going to center our lives around truth? So if you have your uh, scripture open with you, if you have a, a Bible with you, open to Isaiah 41. And we're going to start in verse 1, just kind of work through the passage a little bit, and then we're going to go back and make a little, bit of, a little bit of application together. So this is Isaiah 41. We're going to start in verse, start in verse 1. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the people renew their strength. Let them approach and let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up the one from the east whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he trembles, tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely. By paths his feet have not trod. Okay, what Isaiah is saying here, and we're picking up where Kevin left off last week when we were at Isaiah 40, 31. We're picking up where they left off, okay? So Isaiah is saying that something is about to happen. He's letting them know what's getting ready to come down the pike. And what's coming down the pike when, he, um, when he's declaring it to the nations, it doesn't sound good. He's saying that someone's getting ready to come and he's going to dominate. He's going to have victory over after anyone that he pursues. And that someone, he's Cyrus, he's Cyrus the Great. And he even comes to the point to where he is going to, to rule over Babylon, the place where the Jews are in exile whenever this is being written. So he's saying something is getting ready to happen. And then he asks this question in verse 4. He says, who has performed and done this, calling the generations from the beginning? So this is going to happen. Someone's getting ready to come um, and, and, and take over and rule. And who would, would, would oversee this? Who would be in charge of this? Imagine if you're living in a land and you're being told that someone is getting ready to come and take over it, getting ready to rule over it. And you don't know what it's going to be like. You know that he's dominated people in the past. He's subjugated people into submission underneath him before. And now he's coming to your land. The prophet Isaiah is saying, this is going to happen. And then speaking in first person for God, he says, so who would do this? The end of verse 4, it says, I, the Lord, the first and with the last, am he. Okay, difficulty is coming. Bad potentially is getting ready to happen. And there's some discrepancy among the historians about how things went down with Babylon. But what God is saying is that even in the midst of difficulty, I am still in control. Without a doubt, you may not know what's coming, but I am in control. I am the author of history. Even when we don't like to hear that, that God is in complete control. So we see difficulty coming. We see hardship coming. We are tended to, um, if we're in this situation, reach into the box, pull out the verses that give us comfort, that give us consolation. And what Isaiah does here is he gives us two different responses. He gives us the response of the nations, and then he gives us the response that, that God is calling his people toward. So look in verse, uh, verse 5. It says, The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. 
They've drawn near and come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with nails so it cannot be moved. Okay, so the first response of the nations when they hear that this is happening, that Cyrus is coming, he's getting ready to to take rule over, over Babylon, the nations in general know that Cyrus is coming with a strong force. And the nations respond with, let's get ready. They, they respond with fear and they respond with preparation. Let's get things ready. Let's sharpen our tools. Let's sharpen our weapons. Let's get our idols something we can turn to. Let's get them ready. Let's fasten them to the ground so they're not going to be knocked over. Let's turn to them. Let's create for ourselves a God, something that will protect us. When fear comes, we can respond in that way. That's the nations, but this is what God's people are called to. He reminds them, he says, But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corner, saying, You are my servant, I have chosen you, and you will not be cast off. God is calling them to remembrance. Even look at the verbiage, or the, the, I'm sorry, the terminology that he uses here. Israel, my servant, he has a purpose for them. Jacob, he's recalling for them the fact that he has been with them for generations and generations and generations and generations. The offspring of Abraham, my friend, who I took you from the ends of the earth and called you from the farthest corners. He's reminding them that he is with them that he is good to his promise. And just like Kevin reminded us last week, that regardless of circumstances, God's character, it has not changed. It does not change. Then we get to verse 10, which is your favorite. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will, will uphold you with my, righteous, with my righteous right hand. We see what God is saying here is the nations are responding this way. They're scared. They're trembling. They want to fashion something that they can turn to, that they can, that they can look toward and look for help, look for safety. But God says, remember who I am, my people. Remember that I am with you that I have cared for you, that I've pulled you out of slavery, that I've brought you into freedom. And now that you're even in, in, in exile again, when you're in a place that is not familiar, that I am still with you, you are still my people. That just as I promised to Abraham that, that you would be my people and that I would make a great nation out of you, that that promise, still, that promise is still true. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I think we see three things here in these three sets of of statements that are said. God says, fear not for I am with you. We see the idea of presence. And we talked about this a little bit whenever we looked at um, Philippians chapter 4 a couple weeks ago. God is saying, don't just be afraid, don't just look at, at something that you have to be fearful of in the face. And turn your, turn your head and act like it's not happening. God says, don't be afraid because I, Yahweh, caretaker, one who is preserving for myself a people so that people will look at me 
Look at you, my people, and know that I, Yahweh, am on your side. My presence is with you. That's what he's saying to his people, Israel. Presence. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I like the idea of possession here. We see his presence. We see this possessive kind of, I am your God. You are my people. And lastly, we see his power. For I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is with his people. He is caring for them. Um, When I think about this passage, uh, the righteous right hand, it's this idea of God's perfection and his righteousness, that he is good and that he is just and that he cares for his people. But then the idea of the right hand, the hand of control, the hand that we, well, if you're right-handed, if you're left-handed, not so much, but if you're right-handed, the hands you turn to for pretty much everything. If you're going to open a jar for your wife, you're going to use your right hand to torque that thing. If you're going to write, you're going to use your right, right hand. You're going to use the hand that you have the most strength with. I even remember kind of in this context as a, as a kid, um, whenever we would go places and would be in a crowd, um, and, and I guess it's just kind of like parental response, We'd be walking through a crowd, and all of a sudden, I would feel my dad's hand on the back of my neck, on my shoulder. And he would kind of guide me. Sometimes he would pull me back in. Sometimes he would move me forward. But this idea that his presence is with me, he is my father. His presence is with me. That he's walking with me. That his power has enough to pull me back and forth. It's the same kind of context that that God is saying through Abraham to his people. I am with you. I'm with you. Um, so in this passage, what do we see? In Isaiah 40, uh, 41, 1 through 10, we see that God um, reigns over all of history, that he is in control. We see that, um, that God orchestrates things for the sake of his name. That's what he's saying to the people of Israel. He's saying that, that I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to care for you. The nations are going to respond this way, but I want you to respond this way. So people will know that I am the God who cares for you, that you are mine, that, he, that I am with you, and that I am in control. Israel, you are mine. I am with you. And I am in control. I think that when we are faced with fear and faced with difficult circumstances, we often have the same option of response to kind of go either way. We have the option of turning um, to our self-sufficiency and trying to craft something for ourselves that we can turn to, that our hearts can bow down to, and that we can feel like we are going to be safe with. Or we have the option to turn to our God who through Jesus Christ has given us every good thing and to know that we are his, that he is with us and that he is in control. So think about this with me for a minute. We think about fears. We think about coming face to face with something that may be difficult for us. We hear a difficulty kind of knocking at our door. They can be clothed lots of different ways. It can be clothed with um, news that, uh, that we, uh, we're not expecting to hear that's going to drastically change our lives. 
It can be clothed in something that maybe we have fear that, uh, that are our own insecurities that are just kind of welling up inside of us and they remind us how, um, how not good we are, how not, not worthy we are. Maybe it can even be fear and following and obedience with the Lord. This difficulty comes. I know that God wants me to do this, but it's not necessarily going to be easy. And our options, it's kind of this kind of fight or flight mentality. Our options are to turn from the God who is with us and turn to an idol that we make of ourselves. Now, whenever Isaiah is writing, people literally made idols, right? They crafted statues. They made something to turn to. Sometimes they looked a lot like humans. Sometimes they looked like crazy gods. Um, But something to physically turn to that was going to be in front of them. They crafted it with their hands. They made it with materials that were precious and good and the best they had so that they could turn to them and they would have hope that maybe, maybe this God will do something for me. And I think that in some ways we do the same thing for ourselves. We try and find self-sufficiency in ways that are not crafted. We're not making a statue, but if you looked at our lives, we're putting our time and our energy and our effort into crafting this thing that I can turn to and say, I'm safe, I'm good, this thing has got my back, it's with me. Maybe it's success, maybe it's, maybe it's family, maybe it's safety. We build these idols, our hearts turn toward them, we want to bow toward them saying, saying I, f- I find safety, I find refuge in you. There's this quote um, from Tim Keller that I really like and I think sums, it up, uh, sums this idea up really well. It's from a, a book that he wrote. He's a pastor in uh, New York. And uh, it's a book, this is from a book that he wrote called Counterfeit Gods. It says, The human heart is an idol factory that takes things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them as the center of our lives because we think they can give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we attain them. I think about um, this article that came to our house uh, over the course of the last couple days talking about the rise of drug use in uh, high schools in Vestavia. I don't know if you guys saw this or not. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a national trend, but we see it um, the, way that this, the way that this article read specifically in Vestavia. And so Holly and I are talking through this article, and you know, we have, we have a five-year-old, a seven-year-old, and an eight-year-old, um, and we think about how the, the fact that our kids are going to, to be in high school one day, and this isn't just particular to Vestavia, we could be anywhere, we could be in some cornfield in Iowa, and I would probably have the same fear kind of well up in my heart about what they're going to get into. It's fear. What is coming? What is going to happen? When they're faced with difficulty, how are they going to respond? When they're faced with the opportunity to find pleasure, to find fulfillment or acceptance by doing something or using something, how are our kids going to respond? And so fear wells up in my heart, and my options are one of two, just like we look at Isaiah in 41. My options are one of two things. I can make my kids my idol. I can make their safety my idol. I can make my peace of mind Are you following with me on this? I can make my peace of mind my idol. And so then I shape everything that I can do around that. I rely on my self-sufficiency to prevent my fear from becoming a reality. So I, we, we do the best we can to um, talk about, uh, about making wise choices, things that we would do anyway. 
But we take it to an extreme, and we try to create this bubble of safety for our kids where it's the only thing we have to turn to, the only thing we have to rely on. Well, what happens when that idol that I've created comes crashing down because they are kids and they make choices, they have a will and a volition of their own? What happens then? That idol falls flat on its face, not for lack of me being a good parent, not for lack of me trying all that I could, not for me trying to create a world that would so um, uh, insulate them from things that would affect them adversely, but it falls flat. Now hear me right, I'm not saying that I am not going to take all cautions I can to help raise my kids in ways that they're going to make good decisions. I'd be a fool if I didn't. But am I going to take it to an extreme and make it my idol to where all my worth, all my value, all my security, all my protection, it's found in that or, or, am I going to push away from self-reliance and move toward deeper dependence on God? That's what Isaiah is saying in 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Rely on me. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I, I can be depended on. I have power. I, I, will, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Don't turn toward self-reliance. Turn toward dependence. Will I create an idol? Will I find my value and worth in something outside of God? So I can turn toward self-reliance. I can turn toward fashioning for myself things that will give me the feeling of insecurity, but in the end can topple on their head. Or I can turn toward deeper dependence on God through the person of Jesus Christ. Because you see, we here today, we're not gearing up, we're not preparing and reacting out of fear because one king is getting ready to come and rule over us. That's not what's happening. For those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, what's happening here today is that we are relying on the one true king who has done everything that he can through his perfect life, his death in our place for our imperfection, his resurrection from the grave to push everything that would keep us from him away from us. The king that has everything under his feet, not just one king that we respond to in earthly fear, but the king who will reign eternally, Jesus Christ. That's where we are today. We have the option to turn toward fear, create ourselves an idol, or turn toward dependence and look at the true king who is completely in control. He's completely in control. He's completely in control. When we feel like he's not, when we're unsure if he is, he is in control. So what will be your idol What are you tempted to turn toward in self-reliance? And I'm not talking about being foolish in our planning or being flippant with the way that we view life, but what do we find our security in? What if it fell over in front of us, we would find ourselves in a complete tailspin and not know what to do? What is that? How do we look at that? How do I look at the, the security and the safety that I desire for my family and for my kids? How do I look at that and turn toward deeper dependence on God. If I think I can control the situation, control the things that they're going to be exposed to, I'm not going to be able to, but I can trust the goodness of God that he is going to be with them, that he is going to care for them, and even if, he makes poor, even if they make poor choices, that he has a bigger plan at play, he's going to walk with them and he's going to walk 
He's going to walk with us. Now, I can say this as a dad of a five and a seven and an eight-year-old. And there are some of you that are sitting out there today, and you know exactly what I'm talking about because you have been there. They made choices. You didn't know what to do. And if you had put your, 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 your uh, security, if you looked for the way that you could save your kids as something to serve you, as something to save you, and it toppled over, you found yourself in complete de- uh, desperation. But there is, that does not point the past of repair. This is what the truth of the gospel says. The truth of the gospel says that in Jesus Christ, all idols are leveled at any point when they rear their ugly head. That when we look to Jesus, nothing can stand above his cross. Not one thing. When we keep our eyes focused on him and our lives are solely dependent on him, nothing can stand above him. I think about some passages from the New Testament where Jesus kind of drives this home a little bit. In uh, Mark chapter 4, uh, kind of set the scene here, Jesus is with his disciples. He's in a boat. Things are getting a little crazy. The waves are crashing. The disciples, they raise up in fear. They go looking for Jesus. And where do they find him? Asleep in the front of the boat. He wakes up. He calms the storms. And the disciples' response is, who is this man, even that the wind and the waves would obey him, that he's in complete control? John chapter 16 says, um, uh, 16 verse, uh, I think starting around verse 33, talks about how that in this world we're going to face trouble, we're going to face difficulty, but to take heart because Jesus himself has overcome, he reigns over the world. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, right before where Michael read this morning, Paul says to young Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind and one of love and of self-control, that through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside those who put their faith and trust in him, and that that faith finds confidence in him. 1 John chapter 4, um, verse 18, talks about how the perfect love of God casts out all fear, and that perfect love of God that we rely on is found in the person of Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we read this passage, as we look at this text in Isaiah, and we look about how it translates to our lives, we have a choice to make. Will we turn toward our idol? Will we turn toward what we've crafted and what we look toward to make us feel safe and secure? Or we turn toward deeper dependence on God? Now, I can talk about this up here, okay? I can talk about it up here because there's 2,000 people in the room and I don't know every situation. But the great thing about this truth is that the God who is with us, who we are his, and he is in complete control. He knows every single one of our situations. He knows that idol that our heart wants to turn toward to look for satisfaction and safety, to look for security. He knows that. And he wants to call us away from that toward deeper dependence in him. So that when we look at Jesus, the cross rises so far high above whatever we would prop up that we think would save us, that our dependence moves deeper toward him It's this gradual process, right, of identifying what we will put, the, put in the place of Jesus, moving it aside, asking God through the, the power of his spirit to move it aside and reorient us and focus us 
in a way that we are dependent on him. Where we're totally dependent on him. This morning, we're going to spend a couple minutes in, in, in prayer together. And we're going to think through this in the same type of way. What is our response going to be to whatever it is that we are seeking to be saved from? How are we going to respond? Are we going to respond by looking to our own uh, abilities, our own self-resourcing? Are we going to turn toward deeper dependence on God and follow his leading, claim his truth, his promise? So why don't you just bow your heads uh, for just a second. What I want you to do is, is just kind of process this concept. What is it that we are looking to be saved from? And in doing so, what is it that we're tempted to, to, to prop up to save us from that? Are we fearful? Are we fearful of failure and what that would say about us? Are we fearful of safety and security? Are we fearful of obedience? What are we fearful of and what will we prop up there? Ask God to just identify that in your life this morning. Now, if you're here this morning and you have put your faith and your hope in Jesus to reconcile you to a full and free relationship with God, this morning I want you to just say to yourself, as you've identified that, say quietly, don't say it out loud, just just to yourself, he is with me. I am his. He is in control. This is not self-help, this is truth. He is with me. I am his. He is in control. I want you to just pray and ask God to give you a deeper dependence on him. That you would not fear, that you would not be dismayed, for he is with you. He is your God. He will strengthen you. He will help you. He will uphold you with his righteous right hand for his namesake. Ask him to give you a deeper dependence on himself. There are some of you this morning that as we talk about fear, we talk about difficulty, you don't have a relationship with Christ. And so you live in a cycle of fear and trying to abate that fear. And this morning, I want you to hear the truth of Jesus, that his life gives you freedom. His life gives you purpose. And that through the truth of the gospel, it doesn't just wipe away fears, but it gives us presence. It gives us the presence of God in our lives. It gives us purpose. It gives us the power of God in our lives. And he invites you into relationship with himself. At the end of the service today, there's going to be some of us that are down front. And if that's you, we would love to talk to you. We would love to hear about what God is doing in your life in that way and walk through that. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond in worship. Father, we thank you for truth. God, we thank you that we can look at an old text like Isaiah and we can see truth for our lives today, that we are yours, that you are with us, 
and that you are in control. And God, so whatever that is that we have just turned over to you, whatever it is that we are tempted to be saved from and create things to save us from, God, we tell you collectively this morning that we are dependent on you, that Jesus, you are our only hope, only you, and that we pray that we would hear you continually through your spirit calling us to depend on you, to lean on you, because you will not fail, you will not fall, you are with us. We pray these things in Christ's name, amen.